Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click, and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. We would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks America podcast, the cooking side of the things here. My guest tonight is Brian Sparks, and we're going to be listening to him bring out some really unique uh, perspective on ramps. We had a previous guest, Cameron Stover, talk about it, and he's really inspired him to talk about his recipe and how he does it. 
And with his background in chemicals, this is going to be a very interesting podcast for those who want to experiment more. So, Brian, why don't you take it away? You know, ramps are something actually not uh, something I haven't hadn't done for a long time. I learned about them from a friend of mine and his wife that uh, they had collected them years ago um, when they lived in another area, and I was I was not even aware of, of what they were, and uh, they taught me what they looked like. I looked them up online, and lo and behold, it turns out in my the Nelson Creek property, um, which where Nelson Creek Outdoors, my company comes from, Nelson Creek runs through my property. Okay. Uh, I was walking, I crossed the creek, and I get in the back area, and I was an eye looking for them. Turns out I have a solid acre or two of them in one area, just blankets the place. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was kind of, after learning about them, I was, I was really wanted to learn more about eating them and I also wanted to make sure I was being uh you know responsible in my harvest of them too so I read about them and I read about how you should leave part of the root in the ground because if they have to regenerate from seed it's like seven to ten years to harvest wow yeah and this is all the stuff I read on the internet so I I bought one I can't remember the name of it it's a it's a kind of like a sh- little shovel garden shovel with a knife edge to it okay they use for picking these and uh you basically you guide your finger and you guide that knife to the tiny little root ends on them slice mm-hmm. the root off underground the, the little end of it with the little fine roots not the bulb and then you pull the rest out of the soil okay and the means that roots back down there and it'll be back in like a year or two rather than seven to ten years what they say that sounds much more efficient so go on what so what else do you do with the your ramps so uh, I was, you know, uh, we were talking privately earlier, and uh, one thing you don't want to do is eat a lot of them real fresh. <laughs> I learned that the hard way because I do like onions and garlic, and I, you know, the leaves are edible along with mm-hmm. the bulbs. So I took some of the leaves leaves off, and I was out in the woods, and I chewed on them, and they're very strong that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think I tasted those after eating a good portion. I think I tasted them for like two days. <laughs> No matter what I ate or drank, it just would, the, the taste of the ramp was still there. So they're powerful when they're raw. You're going to put them in a salad or something, mm-hmm. you can cut them up real fine and, and don't use too much. But, uh, I, I've, I found that I really like the flavor. They're kind of a, you know, cross between an onion, a scallion, and garlic. They're a complex mm-hmm. onion flavor. Um, one of the first things I like to do with them, I found out is, um, uh, make chickens with them. I cook a lot of whole chickens. Um, so I'll take a handful of them, crush them up, bulbs, leaves and all, uh, clean them up and then stuff them in the cavity of the chicken before I roast it. Okay. And it imparts that ramp flavor into that chicken and, and it's fantastic. It's, uh, and, and when you're done, you know, you, you get the soggy ramps, you pull them back out of those. Yeah. You can mix them in a little bit of a tomato sauce or anything like that. And it makes mm-hmm. a good little side dish because after cooking like that, they really get a, a more mild flavor to them. They don't stick with you so bad. They're not so pungent. And uh, then they're a lot easier to eat. Um, Have you gotten to experiment w- with ramps with, like, the wild turkeys as well or venison? Um, I, I've used them with venison uh, steaks and venison mm-hmm. chops. Um, I'll just take the, the bulbs in those cases, just chop up the bulbs, mince them up like garlic a little bit. And when I'm, uh, I, I have one of the uh, uh, cast iron... Uh, fry pans with the ridges in it for mm-hmm. making steaks and stuff. That's how mm-hmm. I like my venison. Um, I'll put the venison down, put the ramps on the top, 
cooked the bottom, flip them over on top of the ramps, put the ramps on the other side, if I flip it over again, you know, and just cook them on top of the, of the chops I got. And I like my venison rare. I'm not one of those guys that cooks the, cooks it till it's tough. I'm not worried about catching anything or getting any parasites or anything. So I, I do that and, uh, it, it's way better than onion or garlic alone. I just, it, it, they just got a fantastic flavor to them. That's very hard to describe, but it, it, it is really good. And when you caramelize them like you would an onion or something like that, it yeah. just adds that little bit of sweetness to it too. And, and they really are fabulous. So I've had them with chops and steaks and venison. And I've used them anywhere. You can use garlic. You know, they're great in scrambled eggs. Oh, really? Scrambled, that's, that sounds good. Yeah, you know, I, I've I read about that online too, so I had to try it. And I just uh, chop them up fine, greens and all, and mm-hmm. put them in the scrambled eggs. And you're, oh, that's uh, I make you're making me hungry here. <laughs> I make myself <laughs> hungry. I guess I don't have any more. It's completely out of season now. But uh, but yeah, they're they're fantastic. But I think my favorite thing to do with them. Is uh, I like I'm very fond of tomato based soups. Okay. I also just like to make up recipes for soups and different soups. I make a lot of chicken soup. I make chili, mm-hmm. soups, asparagus, cream of asparagus. I make a uh, white bass chowder that is to die for. Interesting um, white bass chowder. I love I love catching white bass over at Okaboji. So I'm always looking for well, something trying something new. The trick of those, because those people don't like them because they get mushy so fast. The, mm-hmm. the trick is get out there, catch your white bass, make sure your cooler is full of ice. Mm-hmm. Keep them things on ice, get them home as fast as you can, clean them up, and get them in the freezer or the refrigerator, and try to keep them somewhat dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I make a, a cream-based chowder um, with the white bass meat. That looks good, too. And probably be good with a little ramps in it, but I haven't done that yet. But what I do for the ramps is I... I I actually started off by I was going to cook them in the soup and then throw them away. Okay. Um, because it was easier. And I just took uh, uh, basically half and half with, uh, with a, um, uh, a tomato base and a, a beef base, you know, about half and half beef and tomato. Mm-hmm. And then just put in the ramps. And then I do a little bit of Italian seasoning, um, some oregano, uh, maybe put some basil in there. Like just, a lot of times when I cook, it's just the taste of what I think will taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that time, at the end, I took the, the ramps out of the soup after I was done. And it, it did it imparted a really good flavor on the soups. But that's when I discovered after cooking at ramps that they really get mild after you cook them and soak into other things. And I ate them as a side dish just as they were in a tomato sauce. Now I actually make a tomato-based side dish out of them at times when I make the chicken. But uh, oh, they're just fantastic. Now I, I cut everything up real fine, like it's a scallion or something. Mm-hmm. Um, throw a handful of those or two. I'll make a big stock pot full of Ooh. the soup at a time and freeze some. That and sounds I, amazing. I think that ramp-based tomato, I don't know what you call it, beef tomato ramp soup okay. is, is phenomenal. It's It, it kind of is one of those things, too, that's actually good cold. You've ever had gazpacho, the, the cold soup, Spanish soup, and it is. I've never had it, but then again, I don't know anybody personally that makes it just to make it. Yeah, I, I've eaten this ramp soup cold, and it's good, too. It's just really good stuff. They are very versatile, very unique. Um, I think they're probably my favorite harvest, harvestable wild food, you know, next to deer themselves. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've done them different mushrooms. I, I don't trust myself because I, I can only, only identify puffballs and, uh, those are the only ones I'm 100% sure 
that I'm eating the right mushroom because what else looks like a giant puffball. That's very uh, true. Yeah, puffballs I can identify along with morel, of course, and then pheasants, pheasant of the uh, pheasants of the wood, then chicken of the wood too. Yeah, I, I just never find it, and I'm terrible at finding morels. I, I I find a few of the yellow morels once in a while, like in some mm-hmm. sumac stands. Yeah. But, you know, I, I know the dead elms and all that stuff. I just don't know any good areas because I almost never – I come out with a couple of mushrooms and, and never the big score of mushrooms. Um, I like picking berries, uh, wild asparagus. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things out there in the woods to eat. Um, hazelnuts, if you got time to sit there and pick at them, are really good. Uh, yeah. Same with uh, with uh, the uh, hickory nuts too; those are fantastic, but a lot of work to get to. Very, very, very true in that. Well, Brian, but, you provided us some really good insight about how versatile ramps really are, man. Thank you for sharing some of your inspiration because now I want to try some because I'm sure my wife would like to try them too because she likes garlic and such, and she likes to try different things out with that uh, uh, mixture of stuff. So, thank you, Brian, for sharing that information for us. The, and to find them, the only thing I can say is where I find them is in a moister wood area, uh, in the understory, but the understory's gotta allow a little bit of light down to the floor. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. where they all are in this one area, man, where the older mature trees are, where the sunlight gets, gets, gets dappled down to the floor. I don't find them under really thick areas, and I don't find them in super area, open areas. And it's usually a, a, a damper, dark soil. That's where I end up finding them. I gotcha. Okay, then you, it, from what uh, Cameron was telling me, it's like the best time to find them is in May. Is that true for Wisconsin? Because he lives out in Tennessee. Right. They basically May and June you start finding them, and uh, by July, beginning of July, the leaves have died. Okay. And then you can't find them. The bulbs are still on the ground, but unless you knew where they were, and it's hard to pick them, you'd, you'd end up ruining a bunch of them. So I like to go uh, mid to late June in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, just before the leaves start to die, because I like to eat the leaves too, and uh, that's when I go and find them. And they look kind of like a little lily leaf. They don't, you know, it's a flatter, wider leaf. It doesn't look like an onion type leaf. Okay, I guess I'll have to spend some time digging into that. Looking, they for grow those in clusters. They like to okay. be in little clusters, and that's you know. That's how you find them. And they're always, you know, there'll be a cluster here the size of your living room and another cluster over there the size of the bathtub. There's okay, always little okay. clusters and there'll be a lot of clusters in one area, but that's how they seem to mm-hmm. like to grow. Not an expert on finding them yet. I just, like I said, happen to find them on my property there and there's so many of them, I, I don't need to look anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, if you don't have to go travel too far, you might as well stick close to home. Is there anything else you we missed, Brian, that you want to discuss? No, I think we covered everything today here. Some good eating and some uh, some tricks to try out next time you're in the woods deer hunting. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again for being on, being part of everything, and appreciate it. All right, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it too. I uh, anytime uh, hurting for a guest, I'm I'm always available. Uh, the nice thing about uh, I've been doing this for four years, and like I'm never hurting for guests. It's just like I just want to talk to somebody that I haven't talked about a topic that I haven't discussed yet. Because I'm always about learning new and new things and such, but also giving business opportunities to be able to, or opportunities for folks to have a business to talk about it, to brag about it, and, and talk about where they where they came from and where they're going and and such, and which is just fantastic. It's a great opportunity for everybody. Yes, it is. I like I, said, I support this, every other small business I can if they're a good business, 
they're, they're welcome to discuss anything on any of our pages. Thank you. I'm sure they'll appreciate that offer. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later then, Brian. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. You have a great night. You as well. Thank you.